0: Hello and welcome to What's Going On, Eyes on Africa and the Caribbean.
1: Join us as we follow social and economic development issues in and around Africa and the Caribbean. If it relates to Africa, the Caribbean, and the people of the African diaspora, we'll talk about it. What's Going On, Eyes on Africa and the Caribbean wants you to stay connected to the people and places that you love. So join us.
0: We're your hosts. Maranke Ocean Martin. And Grace Ocean. Welcome back. Today, we're talking about Afropop. In December 1994... A peace concert took place in Freetown, Sierra Leone during the Civil War. You won't find much information about it online, but you will find the story on Afropop Worldwide and here on What's Going On, Eyes on Africa and the Caribbean, courtesy of Afropop Worldwide. In this episode, Yinka Rickford Anguin delves into the story behind the making of Jamar Fest and gives us a first hand account of the festival's inception, evolution, Aftermath, and Legacy by one of the primary organizers of the concert in 1994. Jamar Fest, Sierra Leone's Forgotten Festival, first aired on Afropop Worldwide last month, it was produced and narrated by Yinka Rickford Anguin. Enjoy!
1: West Africa, during Christmas and New Year, is the place to be. It's when so-called returnees living across the diaspora return to visit with family and friends. There's no work for at least three weeks and instead, people fill their time with enjoyment. Which is why Les, who was living in London then, thought Sierra Leone in December would be the perfect time and location for a festival celebrating Sierra Leonean creativity. He had experience with this kind of thing after his years working with WOMAD, the World of Music, Arts and Dance Festival. WOMAD festivals toured the world with performers from many varied countries. And still that couldn't prepare Les for the challenge of planning a large-scale event in his mother country, specifically in 1994, when Sierra Leone was pulsing with civil unrest from the war that started in 1991 and continued until 2002.
2: I can easily admit that it was not out of mind, but it was definitely out of sight and we knew of the war and people were keeping up with some aspects of it. But people were still going to Freetown for their Christmas holidays and stuff like that and coming back and not having been under gunfire and all this sort of thing. The capital, Freetown, was
1: still mostly untouched by the violence at that point, but the threat was very present...
2: There was like one it was a Sunday morning, so we get up at the hotel, have breakfast. one of the reception staff comes up to the table. There's some soldiers at the front desk to see you okay, and there's like two or three serious looking military men, and there's a military or oh, two military jeeps outside, and it was just like um." colonel asked me to come and get you, I think I asked someone to let my mom know. So we go uh, three quarters to a mile and a half down the road, and the jeeps pull over onto the sand, and there's this big group playing football including many of the top ministers and top soldiers and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, we're having a game of footy. What if you Like a kickabout. <laughs> like, oh, gosh.
1: Even in his retelling of the story, the reliefless felt is apparent. Still joyful, almost 30 years later, at the realisation that the military summons was for an innocent game of soccer on
2: the beach. That was it. That was all but just the terror of, you know, just being sent for by the military. There
1: was no military or government involved in his initial idea.
2: It was called Salon Jama Fest. Salon, of course, being how Sierra Leoneans say, Sierra Leone for short. It was always going to be a festival, so fest. And Jama, it's a word that... um, Muslims in Sierra Leone use but everyone would understand. Jama'a is like the collective. So the uh, conception was this festival that would take Sierra Leonean musicians and theatre from England and hopefully beyond to Sierra Leone. So it's going to be like for The month of December into January, they have performances, have these workshops, and the idea was for it to become an annual thing.
1: Les was part of a thriving Sierra Leonean community in London, and so he recruited some of his talented musician friends to help bring his vision to life.
2: King Masco had a band very sort of Afropop, to use a <laughs> relevant, maybe, phrase or example, it's party music. So very danceable music, sort of happy lyrics. Oh, wow. The champ, Collins Pratt, who had grown up in Sierra Leone playing the organ and by this time was a very, very strong keyboard player. Um, he plays a lot of other instruments as well. At that time, he basically built a studio in a council flat over a number of years and, you know, did his thing in that regard as well. T.J., Abdul Tijan Jalo, who is a hugely gifted guitarist. He would sing in different Sierra Leone languages, compose new songs, new music, do that, also adapt sort of songs we all knew from childhood, sort of communal cultural songs and do those as well. <laughs>
1: the makings for the event were falling into place. Sierra Leone is the backdrop, performances lined up from some dynamic entertainers, as well as knowledge and enthusiasm from Les.
2: I guess I knew enough about putting on festivals to be very, very interested to do that. And I knew too little to be very very scared of doing that (laughs) i was in that lovely middle ground (laughs) somewhere (laughs) one of the sayings in sierra leone you learn i think it's an english saying a biblical saying even man proposes god disposes i went on a sort of recon research trip in march of that year 94. one of the things someone said go see the secretary of culture at the Ministry of Culture, let them know what you're doing, see what possible help they can give. When Les
1: returned to Sierra Leone in November of 1994 to make the final preparations for Fest that December, some governmental changes had taken place. And now, the Minister of Arts and Culture he'd originally sought advice from was requesting assistance from Les.
2: The Minister wants to see you, so went to see the Minister of Arts and Culture at the time, Honourable Hindolo S. Try. So the head of state and probably the three or four most senior people after him were guys who were like early 30s, had been in the military and had taken over the government at one point. By the time I got to Frita these guys were in charge they had come up with this idea of having a, a national peace concert at the national stadium a two-night concert with international
1: headliners in the national stadium that holds forty-five thousand people this was a big deal
2: they were going to have a guy called sonio a nigerian musician i'd heard of since i was a kid The band Culture from Jamaica, one of the biggest names in the history of reggae music. So, of course, my first thought is, well, how are you guys thinking of all this and not having Sierra Leone artists featuring? So this would be a wonderful platform to bring everyone together. This is what I've been yearning for. The benefit of hindsight, I could see. How problematic that was going to be, but at the time, I just assumed everyone has my vibe and this is just going to be people working together for one end and it's cultural and it's artistic and it's musical.
1: One of the major issues was the panel assigned to the concert planning. Along with Les, the team was made up of a few government representatives, some members of the press and the sound engineer, all with conflicting ideas as to what the goal of this endeavor was. As you can imagine, chaos ensued.
2: This is mid-November, they're going for mid-December. Even me with my little clunky thing had been working on it for a year and had been there in March and you know. Fast forward
1: to mere days before the event and the concert stage hadn't been built or even scheduled. Their sound system wasn't powerful enough, and they argued about pretty major details right until the last minute.
2: My dream, my idea, had always been for this place to be filled. A thousand lions at the time was a dollar, or a pound. I can't remember which is which. But basically, that's what I wanted the price of the ticket to be. I wanted it to be universally one dollar equivalent. None of this sort of segregationist, um, uh, elitist kind of stuff. But old habits die hard, so the pricing structure stayed for concert one. And there were people there, but it was kind of spotty. So after that, again, my next thing was, you know, for the second one, we should just do that. I mean, you can block off presidential stand and maybe even covered stands for VIPs, do that, but for the common person, just make it a 1,000 leones, come in wherever you like, on the pitch, in one of the open stands, whatever.
1: Eventually, someone listened.
2: And somehow that idea translated. I guess they saw that they had also wanted their um, peace concerts To be more impactful than that.
1: And the change in pricing worked.
2: I remember thinking, okay, Lord, if I die now, I'd be okay with with that. Everybody came um, rich, poor, educated, uneducated, professional, trader, vagrant, everybody came. I was like, okay, we're off and running and this is happening now. All the BS is done, now it's music time, concert time.
1: All the preceding drama forgotten, the second night went into full effect.
2: We had the Sierra Leone-based Sierra Cyrillian Leone artists go first. So the stadium isn't quite as full yet as it's going to ultimately be. I remember King Masco had this thing in, like always, oh, okay, local UK African bands, yeah, we like them, all this sort of thing, but they're not that important. But what Masco would always say is, you let me on the stage before you, there'll be precious little left for you to do afterwards. And Masco took that stadium. I mean, he had the stands, you know, he would address them one at a time. Okay, stand eight up and they'd all be up to the left. I mean, you know, sweating people are just wasted party times but you know that the serious serious buzz was culture
1: jamaican reggae music is undeniably popular the world over but there's a deep deep connection with its fans on the african continent in particular as the crew readies the stage for the headliner culture the crowd's anticipation begins to crescendo.
2: People were losing their minds. I remember the Cyrolai chapter of the 12 tribes of Israel were there, just waiting for Joseph Hill and his band to come out on stage. Like, they had one of their people flying the 12 tribes' line of Judah flag, like, running around with it, and all these rasters in his wake, just trailing, and they were just running circles. They were just running, so just joy. This is the moment, this is it. Then the band starts off, the first song. And before Joseph Hill can even open his mouth, the stadium is singing the song, you know? And you can see, like, he double takes as to, oh, this is what we're doing, okay? I took a spliff this morning. I took a spliff this morning. Of the international. Group.
1: That's the song Culture opened with. He thinks. Not that he'd swear to it in a court of law, but there's no denying the feeling in everything he shares. The emotion is palpable.
2: They were moved by that, really, really deeply moved by that. And what was supposed to be between an hour and an hour and a half set was closer to three. They just kept playing. It wasn't about what the contract agreed and all this sort of thing. From that time onwards to the time he passed away, Joseph Hill was an honorary Sierra Leone. Uh, Sierra Leone appeared in his music after that. He visited a couple more times. He was given land. I mean, you know, it became a thing. It wasn't all good though.
1: There's a Sierra Leonean proverb that says, the happiness of the hawk isn't the happiness of the chicken.
2: Music fans in general, fantastic. Biggest thing ever, absolutely fantastic. Politically wise, I think that the government were pleased that the concert went off and it had that impact with people. But on a political level as well, They paid a price as they got a lot of the backlash of, oh, so we are suffering up here in the midst of rebels, and you guys are in Freetown having a party. I can see why people would feel that way, but as it had been put to me and, you know, as I saw it, it was a coming together. It was in, in the midst of a very tense city, a very tense situation. It was that moment of joy and rapture that has to be positive in some way, karmically, spiritually, whatever it has to be. Um, I was there, I felt it.
1: But not even that could rid him of the bitter in the sweet. Les left Sierra Leone and returned to England accompanied by a large debt. Despite his collaboration with the government... Les found himself financially responsible for all the UK-based artists and their bands.
2: I think I personally was jaded as well, and I wasn't too far off of being a one-man operation.
1: What was intended to be an annual festival became a two-night hurrah. However, there's a version of his idea that lives on.
2: But what did happen is one of the partners in the theatre side of it, free-tongue players, actually still to this day have JAMA Fest in Freetown in December. I've been to a couple myself. It's at the National Stadium. It's kind of like a great exhibition sort of thing with performances and other events sprinkled like across a two-week period. So it's different from my exact vision, but it's a really nice cultural arts activity that I enjoy attending when I'm there.
1: The Free Tongue Players held their version of the festival as recently as December 2021. In addition to being an event producer, Les is also a photographer. He's particularly passionate about documenting the lives and faces of Sierra Leoneans, both at home and abroad. I asked if he had any remnants from the concert, especially because it's almost impossible to find anything online. Unfortunately, he has nothing. Honestly, it might be hard for me to believe that this event ever happened if it wasn't for a newspaper clipping that my mum has stored for me in my childhood bedroom. I was interviewed after the second night of the peace concert by a reporter from the Sierra Leone Daily Mail. I spoke briefly about my future career as an entertainer and my performance that night as King Masco's youngest backup dancer. I'm not sure if it was based on merit or due to nepotism, since I was the seven-year-old daughter of the guy who helped make the whole thing happen. Thank you to my dad, Les Rickford, for sharing his memories for this episode of Afropop Close-Up. And many thanks to Zubin Hensler, and of course, Banning Air, for their invaluable production support. Additional thanks to Alexis Moore and Ann Berry for lending their ears and giving thoughtful feedback. This Afropop Close-Up was made possible by a grant from the National Endowment for the Arts. But to keep this series going, we need your support. Visit afropop.org and make a donation. Every dollar counts. For Afropop Worldwide, I'm Yinka Rickford-Anglin.
0: If you enjoyed the show, we'd love to
1: hear from you. You can also follow us on Facebook at Eyes on Africa Caribbean and on our website, eyesonafricacaribbean.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.